Welcome to Gen Z Hoops, the Gen Z basketball coaching and sports business show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Hey, Coach Carter, what's going on? How you doing, man? Doing great. Excited to have you on. Um, really, it was, it was awesome kind of setting this up with you, and, and you've been so gracious in time and coming on the show, so really thank you so much. And, and, and your story is, is to the league, through this coaching journey, you're playing, it's, it's so interesting. I'm so, I, I really, just to start, I'm curious as to like, what, what made you really uh, dive into this basketball journey? What kind of was the catapult to finding that passion and chasing it? The catapult was just my playing career itself. You know, I started out taking basketball seriously around the age of 13. You know, I played travel ball, my first time playing travel ball and getting a chance to play outside of city limits and travel around the state. And that's when, you know, some high school, local high schools and some local like recruiting services and stuff started to take uh, notice of my talent. And that's when I realized, hey, I may be, you know, better than what I think I am. And it just, it started from there. You know, I played, started playing when I was 13. And then when I was 14, I ended up uh, going to high school at Summit Christian. And the day before my first game as a, as a varsity student, I was re-ended with my uh, assistant coach by a school bus. So. That led to me to have a, a broken neck, had to miss my whole freshman year of high school and put me on the road to recovery ever since then. Ever since then, you know, I persevered and fought my way back, had a decent high school career. And, uh, but the, another obstacle I faced during my high school time was my recruiting process. And that's what really led me to coaching because my recruiting process, it was, it was hectic. It was, um, how do I want to put it, frustrating. It was just a lot of things that I was just unaware of because I was the first person in my family to, you know, to play a sport at a high level and to get the game, some of the attention I gained. My mom and I, we just didn't know how to how to handle that. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know how to navigate our way through the recruiting process, what to expect, what not to expect, things and so forth like that. So I would say my recruiting process was the first thing that led me to, you know, kind of want to coach because I was all, I'm, I'm still a big believer of, you know, my story shouldn't have to repeat itself as much as I can handle it. And then, you know, playing through high school, going to junior college as a qualifier at Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. I struggled there a little bit. You know, I was inconsistent as a freshman, so I didn't, I didn't garner the interest of the, of the offers that I wanted as a freshman and chose to come back for my sophomore year where I felt like I had grown and was ready to take the step in the right direction as towards as making that dream come true of becoming a Division One athlete. And the first day of practice of my sophomore year, tear my ACL, I think I tore like my MCL, tore like my whole knee up. So, and that, that was another thing, like, you know, just as I felt like I was starting to understand what it takes to be the player that I was aspiring to be, boom, there goes another obstacle. So, like I said, we can get into that later on in the story, but those are, those are like one of the two main things that led me to coaching was like, you know, my recruiting process in high school and then in college, you know, going through injuries and having to persevere and just see how, you know, you can never take anything for granted. You know, every day matters because you just never know when it's over. Of course. And that's, and that's kind of such a big part of coaching is being able to face adversity, right? But you, and you faced it in so many other ways and in so many more, much more impactful ways throughout your life, which obviously would prepare you to be, to be a great coach. And, and really, um, if you, if you could deal with everything you just mentioned, fourth quarters don't seem that bad, I, I would imagine. So it's, it's really, it's really important to think about, about the, the silver lining and, and, the, and, the, and the, probably how that's made you stronger and, and, and better on, on the court and off it as, as a person. 
Thinking about about all those about those all those challenges, what was it? I mean, we, we kind of touched on recruiting process a little bit. Coming back from the injury that you you had sustained at the start of your high school career, what was it like? Kind of showing college that you were a hundred percent, or that or that you or that you would be able to uh, support their program with, with so serious. How were you able to to navigate it and really show yourself? Oh, the biggest thing for me, man, was just taking on that challenge of you got three years to show these, you know, to, to show these guys you're worthy. You know what I'm saying? Because I was actually approached with the idea of like being retained because I'm young. I was a young, uh, I was a young student for my class. Like I was the class of 2009, but my birthday was September 1st. Like, so I put this, like I was 15, like after the start of the school year, my sophomore year, things and so forth like that. So it was like, potentially I was on the cusp of being like a 2010 prospect. But so, you know, I just told myself like, look, I'm cause you got some guys that play freshman, play JV, only get two years of varsity, you know, turn out to be NBA prospects, turn out to be high division one prospects. So I just use that as motivation to say, I got three years to show these guys that I'm worthy. And, you know, I took that mindset every day in the physical therapy, like you only got three, you know, it's three instead of four, you know, we gotta, we gotta make the best of what we got, gotta push ourselves and just being away from the game, man. It's like, even at a young age, and at that time, I still didn't really understand my love for the game. So it was like, not having that access that I once had to just even go outside and shoot free throws or just to throw the ball up at their goal, not being able to do those type of things that we sometimes take for granted. You know, that's what challenged me and that's what encouraged me the most and kind of got my gears to grind. And like, I just wanted to be back to just feeling the basketball. Like I just wanted to be back a part of the game. So just understanding what it is you really want from the game and understanding how hard, you have to work and what it takes to get whatever it is you're trying to get out of the game and just using that as your motivation mentally, man, and going for what you know and going for what you want. So important. And, and it's, it's really inspirational to, to hear that part of the story and, and, and the mindset of I still have three years left. So many people would kind of give up in that moment and say, I'm done. But you thought of, okay, one year, taking one year off, I still have three more. Um, there, there's, there's, there's still more, there's still light at the end of the tunnel, there's still more left in the tank for me, right? And that, that, that's huge to think of, of, your, of your mindset during all that. So once you, once you stopped playing and you, were, and you were coaching now at Santa Fe, what, I'm, I'm curious, right, right after you, you had finished playing, what was that, what were your job uh, duties and that role kind of as a, as a first year coach, as a, as a young coach? What, what was it like navigating that at, at such a young age? Oh, man, it was great. Well, see, the thing was, I, I kind of had a cheat code, though, right? Because I played there. So I was a little familiar with the system. And, you know, man, my same coach, Chris Moore, who is who's still the coach there now, he was the coach I was able to go back and work on. This. So I kind of had a familiarity with him and how he run things and how he expected things. But, man, I did everything you could think of. I, um, I recruited on the road. I went in advanced scout on the road, you know, scouting opposition opponents. I, I worked, I did player development, worked with the bigs mostly, sometimes the guards. I was the guy to get in the gym with the guys late night. I did class checks. I, I was uh, I was the head of study hall. You know, I had the guys in study hall. I was the strength and conditioning coach. I was the team manager. You know, I had to wash our practice gear, our game gear. I had to make sure the guys had the things they needed before games. I, did the travel bag, all of that stuff. So you name it, I did game exchange with our opponents after the game. So everything, anything you can possibly think of, I did it. 
That's what I love about that so much. Whenever, whenever hearing, hearing from all these guys that coach at a young age at the college level, it's always that you did everything. You had your hand in everything, single you know, thing. You wore so many hats. How much did that prepare you in, in doing all those things for your role with the Mavericks just a few, uh, a few years, a few months later, um, doing player development with them? Because obviously that must have been a much more specific um, job than, what you, than when you were doing everything and you had all those skills already. Man, as simple as this may sound, it was very intentional in my growth. And it was just being prepared to do the little things. Like you learn starting from the bottom that there's no job too little or big for you to do it. That's what prepared me for my, my role with the, with the Dallas Mavericks once I took that next step because I was having to do things such as wipe the floor for sweat, for sweat spots, you know, being available to rebound, being able to pass, being able to play token defense on some guys and all of that. And some guys, you know, Sometimes they get a little big headed and think, oh, you know, I didn't come here for that. You know, so most guys get anxious with the process and they're eager to lead instead of follow at first. You know, you can't lead until you learn how to follow. You get what I'm saying? So I was able to do that stuff at Santa Fe, you know, just being a, being a student, being eager to learn, being eager to, you know, to understand the business and how, how it works and understanding how to be a great assistant. That was my thing. I didn't want to be a head coach. I wanted to be a great assistant so I can know how to navigate and how to move and how to make my head coach job easy as possible. That was my goal, that was my mindset. So just, you know, doing the things and such like washing the uniforms and, you know, taking guys to the grocery store, taking guys to cash their Pell Grant, you know, a stipend checks, you know, little stuff like that. Just being serviceable and being available, that's what helped me going forward. That's fantastic. And I really love the way, the way what you, how you ended it saying that, um, you, you loved your role and you loved doing your role and doing all those little things because if you're an assistant coach and you're only thinking about becoming a head coach, you're going to be a really bad assistant coach. There's no, you can't be a good assistant coach when all you're thinking about is the next step and you're not worried about where you are right now, right? So right, that, right. That's, that's awesome thinking about your, your mindset and saying, I'm going to be the best I could be at this and be a great assistant coach and help these guys, right? Because all those little things might maybe something that another coach might say, that's their responsibility to, to, to go and take care of, of, of whatever that might be with it. Um, but and then through that role with the, Maver the Mavericks, um, you went into the video room, of course, with, um, with, the, with the Magic um, and, and did a little bit of player development there. What was it like kind of splitting the two? Because most people um, only do one. So obviously you had all the skills from Santa Fe, but how did you manage doing both? Man, listen, my, my Magic job is probably the most memorable of all my jobs because time getting the crack at, you know, what it is to be in, a, what it's like to be in a, a video coordinator in the NBA. You know, you read about, the Eric Spolstra, the Mike Boonhoser, the Mike Browns, and a couple of more other guys who, you know, got their start in the video room, like Dave Fisdale, another guy to mention, you know, they get their start in the video room and, you know, eventually become head coaches. So just, you know, reading about those guys and actually getting that opportunity was, you know, more than grateful for that. But it was a grind, I'll be honest, because like in Dallas, we did video projects, but it was through Synergy Sports. Some people may be familiar with it, may not, but most of the league uses sports code. So I was a new beginner. I was a beginner learner with sports code. So me learning sports code on the fly, me learning the terminology from you know one coach to another, that was a whole nother thing. And it was it was a, it was a process. And and to, and to top it all off, like I started my job late. I was the last person to be hired in Orlando, and I was hired the first game of the season, usually you're hired right before training camp in these roles. I was literally, my first day on the job was pre-game warm-ups against the Miami Heat <laughs> of the 2017-18 season, if I'm, if I'm stating it correctly. 
but it, it was it was it was difficult at first, but I was I was great. I greatly appreciated it once everything was over because now I I was able to know how to operate the video equipment. I was able to know how to operate the video um, content, knowing what you know, Coach Vogel and my head video guy at the time, Quinn Crawford, what they expected, what they were looking for when we was chopping up these opposite opposition games, and you know how to sort out certain plays and certain certain uh, projects of you know individual players and so forth. And then having a chance to incorporate that same stuff with the, with our player development program. You know, I worked closely with just about every coach on the staff, but I did day-to-day stuff with current assistant coach with the Atlanta Hawks, Matt Hill. Like, he took me on this wing, and we worked with the bigs, and he gave me some days, you know, he, he'd throw me a bone and let me lead the workout. And then there were days, you know, after games with some of our guys, you know, we would get grab the computer and, go through some minutes, go through those guys' minutes from, you know, last night's game and do that. So that stuff was fun because now, you know, a lot of people sometimes don't realize how important the video piece is with player development. You know, it's not always just about getting on the court with guys and, you know, rolling the ball out and doing this shooting and all that. You know, sometimes they have to see themselves in action and see what it is they're doing and also see an example of what it is we're trying to get them to do as well. So, you know, putting those two together for the first time, man, it was challenging. But like I said, more than grateful for that opportunity. The idea of just being thrown into the fire like that, I mean, it was just so great. And I imagine it, it kind of accelerated that, that development process for you so much. Um, I, for, for me, just thinking about it, that's, that's my, probably my biggest dream is to work in an NBA team in that capacity. But it's also my biggest nightmare to be in a situation where I'm thrown in to, into the fire on game night, um, watching the heat warming up on the other side of the court. It's like, oh, my God, like, this is actually happening. So I definitely yeah. see both sides. And it's, it's awesome thinking about that. Oh, I'm yeah. curious. It's, it's, not, it's nowhere near peaches and cream being an NBA uh, video coordinator. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> definitely no it, it, it's it's obviously really fun thinking about that I'm, I'm curious about that that day itself what was that what were your actual duties maybe that that first day did they ease you into it a little bit did they just say hey take like, like take 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 like, take us there just take like, um this is the you're doing the same job now that you, this is what you'll be doing for the next few months what did what did uh how did that first day go so, man, i'm gonna take you back i'm gonna take you through my whole interview hiring process with oh, the please do please so, do you know, it was um, get a call like at the end of September from the head video guy, like I say, Quinn Crawford at the time. And he called me like, hey, man, we heard about you. You know, if you're available, can you come up to interview? Like, I think it was like the next day. I'm like, sure. Yes. Cool. And the great thing about it, I'm a Florida guy. So the Orlando Magic I, is driving distance. So I go up, interview, meet with Quinn Crawford. You know, he's telling me, you know, what about, you know, my prospective duties if I'm hired you know, things and so forth for that. Then I meet with the lead assistant at the time, Chad Forcier. He's, you know, kind of the overseer of the, st- of the staff over the video room. And he just tell them, you know, what's expected of all of us in here and, you know, how the day-to-day duties work. And he was also kind of in charge of our player development program at the time as well. So just tell him, you know, how I'll be incorporating into that. And then, you know, before I leave the building, wasn't even expecting this, you know, I have a one-on-one with Coach Vogel. And, you know, we're talking, you know, he's telling me everything, you know, how he was a video guy, a former video guy. Sorry that I left him out of that earlier when I was mentioning those guys. You know, I could have done that. But, yeah, like, just telling me how he was a video guy, got his start in the video room, you know, how important it is to excel at that role and take it serious because you never know what it can lead to. And, you know, I left the building feeling great, man. 
And then a week later, they called first thing that morning, like a Monday morning before the start of training camp. Hey, Tay, just called to let you know that we want to hire you. We're going to bring you in. Uh, training camp was starting the next day, like Tuesday. They was expecting me to start like Saturday after I, you know, went through HR clearance and all of that stuff. Saturday or like Thursday, Friday, get there. No call, no nothing. A little worried, you know, but <laughs> just keep my cool. You know, and I'm a guy too. I'm low-key, low-maintenance. I don't really like to pester or bother anyone. So I'm just, you know, trying to trust the process. Fast forward, like another week or two go by, you know, nothing. Uh, preseason has started, and they were playing the Mavericks in preseason. So I buy a ticket to the game just to go, you know, see them in person, you know, try to, you know, see some people from the Mavericks as well during that time. And, you know, there's nothing. So I go to the game, and then I reach out to the staff, you know, afterwards, like, hey, just checking in, you know, this and that. You know, obviously they're busy, you know, with things and stuff too. But just kind of, you know, kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. So it's coming down to like the last game of preseason and I just call like, hey, is this a prank or something? Like, did I really get the job or did I not? Oh yeah, yeah, you know, they finishing up some stuff with HR and things and so forth like that. So get the call, I'm actually getting the haircut just cause I'm like, they can call any day now. Cause at this point, HR is finally called. They sent my offer letter, you know, all this stuff. So I'm clear. So now I was just waiting on when my, you know, my drug tests and stuff get back so I can start. So I'm getting a haircut, get the call from Quinn. Like, hey, Tay, how you doing, man? Um, hey, get down to the arena. You know, your stuff came back. You're going to start right away. We'll have your polo shirt and, you know, all that stuff. When you get there, we'll have your gear ready for you when you get there because, you know, I'll be, you'll be, you know, standing, sitting outside the tunnel, you know, just on an ad-needed basis. So I get there, you know, everybody's, you know, congratulating me, you know, welcoming me, making me feel welcome, all that stuff. And it was around like one, one o'clock, one thirty. Usually pregame, first pregame workout starts like four fifteen, four thirty. So first pregame work. So fast forward to pregame time to go down to the arena court for a uh, pregame workout and stuff. And I'm just kind of around, just you know, trying to stay out the way as much as possible. And like I say, there I was playing, having to play token defense and having to help, you know, rebound or be an extra passer while, you know, Matt playing token defense and going through stuff. So I was thrown in the fire. Then I um get on the court with Chad, with with uh, Jonathan Simmons at the time, and he's like, oh, contest the shot. I'm like half contesting and stuff because, you know, a lot of times in the NBA, everybody kind of migrate differently with their player development stuff. Like sometimes you can be a little more hands-on, sometimes you can't just because at the end of the day, have to protect the players at all costs. That's just what it is, you know what I'm saying? So, but he's like, no, oh, get up on him. You're like, you know, actually defend him and stuff. So that was new to me, cause you know, back in Dallas, most of the time it was just, you know, shadow token, this and that. He's like, no, nah, you know, make him feel you, you know, this and that. So I was thrown in the fire. So I'm like, okay, this is how it's gonna be, you know, this and that. So it was, it was right to it, man. They didn't hold, they didn't hold back. It was, I took it as like, hey, you say this is what you want to do. So here you go. Well, I, I love that. I mean, th thank you so much for going through that whole thing because it's especially um, all, all, so many listeners being young coaches want to do something like that to hear about what the process is actually like, you know, sitting in the barbershop chair, getting the call. That, that was just, that was really awesome. 
Um, so thank you so much for sharing that and and, and thinking about obviously like the, the, all the uh, great times and, and roles you have at the Magic is it, really awesome thinking about as a huge step in your coaching journey. Uh, when you as you kind of progressed and went on to to work with the Memphis Hustle, um, and obviously then we'll, we'll talk about of course your career with the Pacers. Was it kind of a, a similar thing? Is is mostly what you've been doing a lot of that player development video stuff? Um, and and is that really what what you would you've kind of excelled in at every single step? So what makes the Memphis Hustle so uh, special to me because it was everything. It was Santa nice. Fe, Dallas, and Orlando all put into one. And at this time, I finally had got, because this is a title league, so I finally getting, ended up getting the title that I was hoping to get later on down the line. I got it sooner rather than later. I was actually an, assi uh, actually an assistant coach with the Memphis Hustle, but – like you say, me taking the steps that I took leading up to this prepared me for this. Like you say, manager at Santa Fe, you know, washing uniforms and, you know, driving the guys around and all of that. I had to do the same things with the Memphis Hustle. You know, I had I was the driver of the van to get our guys to and from home games. You know, I was a player development coach. I had now versus assisting coaches with player development stuff. I had guys I was solely responsible for. I had video edits and scouts that now versus assisting a coach, I still assisted a coach, but now I was throwing a bone and having to do it on my own. And the thing that made my Memphis hustle job so great was I was first and foremost surrounded by coaches and players that were just as hungry as I was about my own uh, development as a coach and as a person. And, you know, we all just kind of gelled together to help one another become better. But most importantly, I called it real-time reps. You know, a lot of times, you know, being in video roles in the league, you don't get a lot of opportunities for real-time reps because the size of the staff. You know, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of assistant coaches on the front of the bench, behind the bench, and, you know, video guys, we're, you know, we're solely support staff. We're, we're the guys that, we're the utility guys. Whatever you need, we got you. In the G League, they're not that luxurious with their staff because, you know, for financial reasons or whatever the case may be, a lack of resources, so... A lot of people have to be willing to do more things than they signed up for. So, like I say, all of my jobs leading up to this was formed into one because on the on the away games, I was the uh, equipment manager because our equipment manager didn't travel. You know, I was the guy when we had to shuttle to the airport. I had to make sure all the guys was on the on the bus in the front of the arena so we can get to the airport. You know, I was the guy that did have my own guys for pregame workouts. You know, I was the guy that helped one of the assistant coaches at the time, like Alex Lloyd with personnel scouts when he had, you know, when he was doing his scouts for teams. So I did everything in one in Memphis. And that's, I think that was vital in my career because it really gave me, like I say, once again, those real time reps that I was yearning. And not, well, I wouldn't necessarily say yearning at the time because I was still, you know, just excited to be on the path and was kind of going wherever my path led me. But it was much needed because once again, you have to get those real time reps. Like for example, me leading a walkthrough to a game, you know, being being granted the opportunity by our head coach at the time, Brad Jones, to speak in front of the team, to develop a voice in front of the team so they can know and understand that, oh, this guy's not just here to rebound and pass for us or just to, you know, make sure we have everything he needs. Like, no, he's a young coach. He wants to be a coach. and he has a voice as a coach. You get what I'm saying? Like that makes sense. Like they view you as a yep. view you as a coach. You know what I'm saying? So that was that was very important for me going forward. 
it's so cool thinking about obviously all all, all this subject and leading up to to to, to a job where you're kind of doing everything right and we kind of it's we go, we go from talking about everything to player development to video stuff to back to everything and it, it's so cool thinking about all those different stops and all the the titles you've had and, and how they all they all play nice together and they're also a little bit different um the cool the really the most your most recent job with the pacers was what really stood out to me because of the the title of a seasonal assistant coach which is something that i've never spoken to someone in that role before and i'm curious to think of what's of what, what was so what was unique about that role in, in, in working with the pacers especially um and we'll talk about that too and during during the COVID 19 pandemic and all the crazes happened there so you have a really cool title there's there's a there's a global pandemic going on at the same time what, what was this past year like for you oh uh, it was great man and once again it's just I've been blessed. I'm still young in my journey and in my career. And like you say, every year has gotten bigger and better. And just to uh, add to you so you can get an understanding, like before I got to the Pacers, I actually was granted an opportunity to go to Shanghai, uh, to go to Shanghai, China um, in that summer before I accepted the job with the Pacers to be a player development uh, associate for um for the Shanghai Sharks. I'm sorry for this. So I was able to go to uh, China to be a, be a development guy for the Shanghai Sharks and that kind of groomed me for what I was getting myself into with the Pacers I was unaware of my opportunity for the Pacers while I was over there I actually got it when I got back but um my, my year with the Pacers was great it was similar to my role in Orlando as assistant video coordinator slash player development coach but as the year progressed I kind of I kind of as the year progressed I was granted more responsibility I was granted more responsibility as the year progressed. So it was more so like, once again, back, like you mentioned earlier, balancing the player development stuff with the video stuff. And I uh, work, I work closely with one of our assistant coaches, Bill Baino, and I was in charge of helping him with all of his opposition scouting. So for instance, if we were playing the Washington Wizards, I was in charge of scouting five of the Wizards games, you know, picking up on their tendencies, you know, their, team tendencies, their player tendencies, you know, putting video clips together, putting a scouting report together, and just helping Bill Baino as much as possible to once again make his job life easier. And aside of that, you know, I was a player development assistant. You know, I helped some of the other coaches with, you know, workouts. And as the year progressed, I was able to lead some of those workouts with some guys such as like Justin Holiday, for instance, uh, Jakar Sampson, Alizé Johnson, just to name a few. So it was great because I wasn't expecting that side. I was expecting, you know, it to be very similar to my Orlando Magic deal. Well, I'm just assisting these guys, but, you know, they they started to trust me with these guys and trust me with the, with the work and the things that we were trying to do. And they gave me an opportunity that I'll forever be grateful for as well. So cool thinking about that and, and, and all the players that you were able to, to work out with in one capacity, all the jobs you're doing in another capacity. It, it's really curious, um, awesome thinking about um, all the different roles you play within that pace organization in, the, in, in, your, in your one year there. Um, you kind of you mentioned a few players you were working with individually, um, and, and a lot of them are, are still with the Pacers, and, and still, and that, that the team as a whole is, is very young and, and and looking to to hopefully in the next few years make some serious some waves. Um, you met you whether it's with Aaron Holiday, guys like that. Who were some of those guys that you really saw getting better, and you could really um, expect to see some big things going on down the line? Oh, all those guys, and most importantly, with the guys that steered there, like Justin Holiday, like he he's a guy I worked with probably the most out of those guys, and. I think he, he was a vital uh, part of our success last year. He was our utility man, our sixth man. He did everything you can ask for and more. You know what I'm saying? And just watching him this year, he's still been kind of excelling in that role. 
you know, I, I work with Malcolm Brogdon as well. And I'm seeing him kind of take that next step in his game as being that leader on the floor and kind of that floor general and, you know, taking more threes, making more threes, sort, sorts of things like that. Did some work with Miles a little bit, seeing Miles become more aggressive and understanding his role on the team and really owning that paint on the defensive side and, you know, leading the league and block shots right now. You know, Jakar still in the reserve role, but he's just a pro's pro, you know, staying ready and, you know, just waiting on his moment, you know, and things and so forth like that. So, you know, all these guys have have made improvements in their game, even though Alizé is not with the team anymore, but he just recently had a great bubble, had a great G League bubble with the 905 Raptors. So, you know, these guys, they're pros, you know what I'm saying? They take their game serious. They take their job serious. I wouldn't necessarily say game because it is their job at the end of the day. And, you know, they're, they're showing, you know, the work that they've put in, the work that I've witnessed them put in is starting to show. Uh, Coach, it's so interesting thinking about all those relationships you have with a lot of those guys and, and, and really cultivating them throughout that, that one year there. What was it like kind of getting to the bubble and, and, and kind of living that bubble life with all, with all these players and, and, and seeing this Pacers team um, get, get a high seed in the playoffs, really, really um, do that through the first few games while they were there, there in the bubble? Oh, man, the bubble was great. But what really made, made the bubble a little easier and a little uh, comfortable to adjust to was, you know, we put in a lot of work before we got there. So, like, and I want to say around May, you know, the league lift, lift, had lifted the bands on the on the uh, local sites and, the you know, the local gyms, you, you know, your home gyms and things and so forth like that. So we were back in the gym working with guys on the one-to-one ratio, you know, one player, one coach. And it was guys like myself, you know, in the other video and player development guys in the gym with these guys. So we were able to, you know, develop some strong relationships with these guys, working there, being like, once again, being available, being accessible for them you know, through these hard times. And at the time, you got to understand, the bubble wasn't even talked about at this time. It was just, hey, things are starting to look a little better. We're going to let you guys back in the gym. You know, you got a COVID test, you know, check your temperature, you know, all these things. And you were just kind of just working without an end goal, you know, without knowing what was what was coming to. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bubble things come to light. So it was like, all right, cool. We got something to play for. We're going to the bubble and that sort of thing. So when we get there, you know, guys are eager. They haven't played, been on the floor together in, you know, three or four months. So, you know, you know, just that adrenaline itself rushing and guys eager to get back on the floor with one another and play with one another. And then once we got down there and got accommodated, man, it was it was great. You know, some guys, you know, had, they had leisure entertainments for guys to go fishing, you know, go on boat rides. They had nice restaurants for guys to eat at. And it really just, you know, it built the camaraderie amongst the staff and the, and the uh, players because, you know, we was all we had there. You know, it was kind of like uh, we made a joke, like it's kind of like all boys camp. You know, you got the Sixers over here. You got the Mavericks over here. You got the Pacers here. You got the Grizzlies over there. You know, so it was just all about, you know, we all we got. We got to stick together and we got to make sure we all do our job and do our best to make sure we all stay sane enough and stay on course to know what we came here to do. So, you know, like having talk, you know, having walks from the bus back to the to the um to the resort with guys, just you know, how your day going, uh, how practice, uh, how you feeling. You know what I'm saying? We've been here for five days now. How you feeling? How your family doing back at home, you know, with COVID still being out in the world, you know, things like that. Or you got some guys going back to the gym at late nights and then, you know, we getting back and we may have a late dinner and we talking about maybe the session we just had in the gym or, you know, before the season got started in the bubble, you know, 
what are some of the things we're hoping to accomplish as a team in the bubble. So, you know, just being there for those guys, man, you know what I'm saying? You know, cause at the end of the day, I always tell people, you know, regardless of how much money these guys make, regardless of how much stardom they have, they're still humans at the end of the day. And you have to treat them like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's, it don't hurt to ask a guy, hey, how you doing today, man? Hey, what you ate for lunch? Uh, what we eat for dinner? You know, anything like that, just to keep the remind them that you care for them. You know what I'm saying? You're not so caught up in what they do or what they can do for you, but that you sincerely care about them. You're genuine. And that stuff goes a long ways. So, Coach, most recently you were working with, with Team Nigeria, and it's so interesting talking to someone because everyone, when people think about overseas basketball, they automatically think of Europe, right, or, or, or China, or leagues like that. But really, um, the, the, the leagues over in Africa are really starting to develop and, and really start to gain traction. What did, you, what did you see when you were over there? I saw a lot of talent. I'll be honest with you. I saw a lot of talent. I saw a lot of genuine people. I saw a lot of hungry people and just guys just dedicated to their craft, man. And it was an unbelievable experience because, you know, most of us when we plan or when we're coaching, you know, the one thing that's usually on our bucket list aside from winning the championship is to be a part of a national team and to be granted that opportunity to play for something or to be a part of something much more bigger than basketball is just a feeling that you can't describe. And like I say, it was such an honor. It was very much a blessing. And I just look forward to what's to come in the years with, with being a part of Team Nigeria because they're definitely up and coming. You know, they're starting to take basketball a little more serious than they have in the past. And they're definitely, they're de the one thing they're definitely trying to do is be competitive and compete and trying to bring a medal back to Nigeria. It's huge thinking about just how, how, how different basketball is all over the world and all these different leagues that maybe people don't think about them, but there's so much talent over there in Africa that's been developed recently, especially with so many players coming um, coming from there, whether, whether it's Serge Ibaka or, or, or players like that that are really giving back to the, to the basketball over there and the communities over there. Um, what, what are you hoping to see um, a few years down the line? Obviously, or you're, when, you're, when you're working with them, you'll be playing a, a role in, getting, in, in spreading the basketball influence there. But what, where do you think it can be in the next five or so years if, if we really start to shift our focus to all the great, all the great talent coming out of there? Well, I think it'll be definitely a powerhouse in, in the world. I think there'll definitely be a powerhouse around the world. And like you say, I'm hoping to contribute them as much as I can with some of the other guys that's a part of this. And, you know, we want to start helping the younger, the younger talent over there, you know, become, start to get developed and start to gain the recognition that they deserve. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, once you get the recognition, once you get the resources in place to help these, these young kids, you know, women and men and women, you know, develop, then the sky's the limit from there. I make sure that, that players know you care is so important. It's, it's also thinking about that experience in the bubble and how it brought the team together. When you brought up at the beginning how it had been so long since they played, I, I thought that was interesting because that's a talking point that back in um, April, May of last year, June even, we kept on bringing it up all the time. And then once the bubble kind of started, we forgot about that. And that, that was such a big part of life in the bubble was what happened before that and how guys were trying to stay in shape and how um, trying to get in tune for the bubble. So thank you for sharing that because it's, it's funny when you brought it up, I was like, wow, that's something I haven't thought about in months. And that, that was such a big part of life in the bubble. You, for you, it was probably every day you were thinking about, man, like what, what we're going to do to get ready for the bubble. When you're in the bubble, you're thinking about what we did to get here and then all that stuff going on. So I mean, that was definitely different. Yeah, I mean, before we even got to being able to go back to the gym, you know, it was reading, it was watching film. It was like you say, staying in contact with these guys, seeing what they're doing. And then I'm sure for all of us basketball junkies, you know, the last dance came out and saved us. You know what I'm saying? And that kind of, just when you probably was losing faith or losing hope, you know, that, that gave you that off again, like, okay, I'm ready. I'm good. And you know what I'm saying? So 
Yeah, it was some tough times, man. I'm just, I'm glad and I'm blessed we was able to get through it. Nothing gets a basketball fan more hyped up than a, than a good Jordan doc, uh, documentary or highlight tape with all the, all the dramatic music and the, the cradle dunks and all that good stuff. But Coach Carter, thank you so much for coming on. This was honestly awesome, both going through all your stops, all the different hats you've worn, all the different roles you've played on all these teams and, and, and all the success you've had kind of with this coaching journey. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, going in depth on, on how you, you've done everything. And I really think our listeners will take so much from this. Yeah, I appreciate you, John, man. Anytime I can help, don't be afraid to reach out. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.